When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I am Ben. We are joined, as always, by our super producer, Noel the Piano Man Brown. Noel, tickle the ivories. Brown. Yeah. Noel, 88 fingers brown. <laughs> Good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and fun fact, actually, in his uh, life outside of working with us here at How Stuff Works, our friend Noel is a multi-instrumentalist. Yes, he is. talented he, musician. He, uh, he, he tours, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he has been on a couple tours. That might be his story to tell. I don't want to oh, disclose his personal business there. That's right. But, but he, uh, he plays local gigs and things still. Mm-hmm, but, absolutely. Uh, but... Uh, Always, uh, always welcome to hear, uh, you know, what he's up to because, um, man, he's got so much happening here at work and outside mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's even got some cool new toys here that are kind of music related uh, for oh, other right. shows. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, trying to get him to make some beats for me. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? I forget what it's called. It's like a, it's a cloud push or something. I, I will totally butcher the name of the product, <laughs> but, uh, but it's a really cool toy to use. And today we're speaking of astonishing segues, Scott. Buddy, this podcast has been a long time coming. It really has. So long that I have lost the initial email where this came from. And I know we've mentioned it in, what, Nuts and Bolts uh-huh. recently? Yeah. Maybe even twice. Um, but this is one that we definitely wanted to get to and, and has been at near the top of the list for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It's about piano makers that also built automobiles. Hold on. You might be saying, what? Uh, pianos? They're, they're not remotely like cars. Ah, however, the answer may surprise you because what we found after, oh gosh, this was years ago when we first received this email, uh, what we found and what you told me about initially uh, was that there's a strange correlation. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's not always as simple as it seems. Like, it's not that, you know, they just open up a factory and start building cars. It's never like that. There's always this, right. like, maybe, not always, but sometimes there's this slow integration or they make a part uh, mm-hmm. that somehow leads to something or or it's just maybe a family member that is that is involved mm-hmm. in this. So there's a few different examples here we're going to give. And I think I've got, personally, here in front of me, I've got about seven examples of, oh, wow. um, cool. of you know, piano makers that also built cars or parts of cars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of this history is really going to surprise you, I think. And, it did me, and when the listener wrote in and said, you know, specifically about a, a, a one of the vehicles we'll get to, it's not the first one, mm-hmm. it's somewhere in the middle, uh, I'll, I'll note it when we get to it, but uh, what an incredible vehicle this guy built, and that was kind of the uh, the standout of this whole thing. All right, Ben, so maybe we should just jump right into a couple of examples here, because we've got, like I said, seven or so mm-hmm. in front of me. Uh, where do you want to start? You want to start with uh, maybe Mercedes and Steinway? Oh, yes. Actually, that's one of my favorites. So let's start with that. Uh, we're talking about a fascinating partnership between two people, a fellow named William Steinway of Steinway and Sons fame uh, and a fellow named Gottlieb Daimler. Now, let's do a little context here just real quick. So the uh, the, the Steinway family uh, comes over to the U.S. in 1850. Mm-hmm. And they make a name for themselves rapidly with the quality 
of Steinway pianos. Yeah, so like when we say it's the Cadillac of the automotive world. Oh, that's good. This is the Steinway of the piano world, right? Right, right. And, and everybody used Steinway as a, uh, like, you know when you say Stein, it's a Steinway or like a Steinway, mm-hmm. uh, that is a, a mark of quality. Even if you don't play piano, you're aware of the Steinway name. Sure. So at the same time, if we go forward a little bit, over in Europe in 1886, Daimler-Benz creates the first car of theirs that they've built, right? Well, sure, the patent wagon, right? The patent yeah, wagon. Yeah, and they're, they're, uh, they're two vehicles, actually, that are developed independently of each other. Right, yes. Uh, which becomes the patent wagon, which then is, of course, known as the first car, really. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so what is that, 1886, you said? Uh-huh. Uh, in 1888, Steinway gets together with um, uh, Daimler, right? Is it Gottlieb Daimler? Uh-huh. I think it's Gottlieb Daimler. And yeah. um, they discuss the idea of engines, because engines are sort of a new thing at the time, internal mm-hmm. combustion engines mm-hmm. that are small enough to put into uh, these new automobiles, which are brand new. These newfangled, horseless carriages. Yeah, but they're not talking about cars yet, even. That's, that's still a decade really. away. Yeah, what they're talking about now are, are different um, applications for engines. Exactly. So they're talking about um, putting them in boats, and they're talking about stationary engines. And um, Steinway is saying... Hey, you know what? I can I can try my uh, my hand at this because there's probably a huge market for this. Mm-hmm. And they started they started kicking this idea around when uh, Steinway was traveling to Germany and around, as around 1888. 1888, yes, great point, Scott. And uh, so this is literally like two years after these kind of vehicles become a thing, a maybe thing, not even a definite mm-hmm. thing. And so. Imagine, if you will, ladies and gentlemen, these two giants of industry who are bonding on their um, on their equally uh, tremendous success in their respective fields. And Steinway, you know, having the engineer or the carpentry and engineering capability to build a coach and Daimler having the uh, mechanical engineering ability to create these engines start talking a little more. And more seriously about the idea of doing something wild, something no one had done before, because let's keep in mind right now at this point in time, all of the few places manufacturing what we would recognize as automobiles are located where? In Europe. In Europe. Yep, in Europe. So uh, they're, they're talking about this and they're saying, well, you know, there's a chance here that we could bring this over to the United States. In fact, um, so they have this facility in Hartford where they can uh, create the engines, they can build the engines. Right. Steinway makes a contract with an outfit called the National Machine Company there in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, and then um, he's also got a piano factory in Long Island, which has enough space uh, that if they do want to use these engines in a boat application, mm-hmm. they've got plenty of, uh, of factory space, I guess, to um, install engines in these boats. Right. The floor has enough room for these to, to for them to put these together. So... What is, uh, let's see, where do you want to go next Well, here? okay, here's the thing. It, not long after all this happens, and there's a few other steps along the way. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. Steinway, um, Steinway actually was the one who chose the name Daimler Motor Company, apparently. Uh, so he's the one who, who coined the term uh, when they were going to become incorporated. And um, I, I guess we can probably, you know, there, there's a few things here and there that we should talk about, but let's just say that in 18... What would you say? Eighteen eighty-eight, when they were talk first talking, uh-huh. they weren't thinking about automobiles right away. So, right. what happened was in eighteen ninety-six. This is when or, you know what? Let me back it up even one more step because um, it was around. Uh, here's his his idea, and this is in eighteen ninety-five. There's a newspaper interview with uh, William Steinway, and he does have a plan for cars at that time. So it's uh, again, this is like seven seven or eight years later that he's talking about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's saying, we intend to produce cars for the American market that are capable of carrying between two and four people and will be driven by engines between two and a half and three and a half horsepower. Each car will have four different speed settings, three and a half, six, nine, and 14 miles per hour. It's a four-speed car with very specific mm-hmm. ranges of speed. Um, he says the fuel petroleum costs about one cent per horsepower an hour, making the automobile considerably less expensive than actual horsepower. Um, he considered Daimler's wire, wire wheel car um, too lightly built for the rough cobblestone streets we have in this country, meaning the United States. Right. And he says uh, with, with that intent that Daimler Motor Company would create a model that would be adapted for conditions in America. So this is in 1895 he's saying this. Again, 
seven years after they started the whole boat motor static motor right thing. and this is kind of this well this is the sad thing Steinway died in November of 1896 so one year later he passes away the uh, the founder of Steinway uh, pianos right his heirs almost immediately sold their shares in Daimler Motor Company to General Electric Company. So mm-hmm. that's the GE that we know today. Mm-hmm. Um, sold the shares to them, and from 1898 onwards, uh, they manufactured, um, uh, well, their manufacturing operations became known as the Daimler Manufacturing Company. And the first American Mercedes car was produced in 1905. So it was a long time after that. So Right, because Daimler also passed away in 1900, so neither of them lived. Okay, so neither one of them saw right. this come to fruition, because in 1905, that was the very first American Mercedes car. Now, the American Mercedes was a, a huge vehicle. It was a big, uh, you know, well, you know the Mercedes chassis at the time. They had Daimler motors, um, but it was a chassis that Steinway then bodied. The unfortunate thing here is that they didn't produce a whole lot of them because there was very short... Uh, or limited time, I guess. It was, I think, mm-hmm. between 1905 and 1907, I believe. And only, I, this is, I, I'm going to have to really dig into this even farther because okay. I've only been able to find one example so far. And it's owned by a place in Irvine, California. Mm-hmm. And the one that I've seen is, uh, it's a place called, uh, the class, uh, it's, it's a Mercedes-Benz dealership. It's called the Classic Center in Irvine, California, and they have one. They have a an American Mercedes there, but I've never seen another one in, uh, since. Um, but along the way, they've all just kind of gone away. And if there is one out there, I'd, I'd love to know about it, of course, um, you know, if anybody's seen one in a museum or anything. But uh, these American Mercedes models um, are very, very rare. And if you want to see one, you can take a look at the photos from, you know, that uh, where you can visit the Mercedes-Benz Classic Center, I suppose. Uh, they have a lot of um, classic vehicles on display there. But, you know, the thing is, like, one that I saw was um, somebody had just taken a photo, and they didn't really realize what they were looking at until later they heard the story about the American Mercedes. Do you want to uh, know an interesting little tidbit of history? Sure. Here? Yeah. Steinway and Daimler were introduced by someone who's also very important to the story of the automobile at large. Who's that? Willem Maybach. Really? Yeah, yeah. He was the one. He he was the one who introduced them. That's the um, German engine designer and industrialist. Yeah. Let's move on to another one, Ben. That is uh, is also pretty straightforward, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, this one. This, this is another piano maker that actually built cars. Now, this one's the story is a little bit twisted on this one, so I'll try to get as much of the detail out there as I can. But it's <laughs> the it's the Heine Velux. Ah, yes. Yeah, Heine Velux. Now, this is an interesting one because this is again. It's the one the listener wrote in about specifically about this vehicle. It's really it's a pretty fascinating story, and there's a lot to it. And it's a deep cut as well. Yeah, this is a guy. His um his name is Gustav Otto Heine out of San Francisco, California, and he was the owner of a very successful uh, piano company called the Heine Piano Company. No, he moved from Germany to San Francisco. Oh, okay, guys. So he was he was pretty new here to uh, to San Francisco. Uh-huh. Um, around what, 1903? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I just want to say there's one detail. I'm sorry to interrupt. There's one detail about this I think is interesting and so indicative What's that? of self-made men. Well, he went to work originally for a place called the Broom Piano Company as a piano tuner, but he hated the guy who owned it. Oh, okay. He did not like his boss. And then he uh, actually got in a physical altercation, a fight with the owner, and they were using tuning hammers. <laughs> a tuning hammer fight? True story, yeah. No kidding. He That's had a scar funny. from it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. it was a severe fight, like a yeah. serious one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's and a, then, I, so he ended up becoming the owner of this company, and then he changed the name to... The Heine Piano Company. Yeah. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. all right, I see. So it's, it's actually, he, he took over that over that mm-hmm. uh, company. After right. uh, after they a duel, so, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so this is turn of the century, right? Yeah. We're, we're just into the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1903, he must have had um, an interest in automobiles at the same time as well mm-hmm. uh, because he became the first Ford dealer on the West Coast in 1903. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. If you know anything about the time here, we're building up to one uh, cataclysmic event that is not good. Yeah. Uh, so by 1905, you know, two years later after he has this Ford dealership, uh, he had formed something called the Heine Motor Company, and the Heine Motor Company began building. His, he began building his own cars, um, mm-hmm. and he actually built three touring cars uh, mm-hmm. before. And this is what happened before 1906. That's the Great San Francisco Earthquake. Uh, just horrific event that uh, it crumbled the city really right. uh, lots of death and destruction but um, following the earthquake he offered the true he had three of these cars that he had mm. already built under the Heino Motor Company he offered uh, the federal troops use of his three vehicles for transporting supplies uh, transporting the wounded the dead mm-hmm. uh, so he kind of gave those up for service at that point and of course his piano business was destroyed in the in the earthquake as well um, right. you remember there was a lot of like there were there were um, Fires and all kinds of things happening. So Eight, about eighty percent of the city was destroyed. Yeah, incredible destruction in this thing in nineteen oh six. So um, it takes him a long time to come back from this, but he gets his piano business back up and running because that's his main source of income uh-huh. and I think his initial main love. And by nineteen twenty one, he's kind of back into things again and wants to um, wants to reestablish himself in the automotive world. So he buys a company called the Economy Steel Manufacturing Company uh-huh. and. He has a brand new um, car designed and then built with resources from that company, and this is the 1921 Heine Velox. And Heine, that of course Heine is his name. Yeah, Velox is a Latin word which I believe means swift. So hmm. uh, it makes sense that he would call it that. It's a strange name when you when you read it, but uh, that's what that means. Um, it was advertised as a custom-built luxury car and was first shown at the San Francisco Auto Show. Uh, I would guess that'd be the 1921 show. And it had hydraulic brakes on all the wheels. It had a V12 engine. That's my favorite. Yeah, part. the V12 yeah. engine that was commissioned from a, a company called uh, Wheedley, uh, which was out of Indianapolis, I believe. Uh, so he had this thing. And it's got to be expensive right there. I mean, to have right. an engine designed and built, especially a, a, a V12. This is a huge, huge vehicle. <sighs> it's a massive car with a 148-inch wheelbase. And that's so, – so get this, Ben. That's That's – Twelve. That's almost twelve and a half feet between the wheels. That's like uh, you know wheel center to wheel center, and then overhang. I, I can't imagine yeah. how big that thing must have been. So it's a huge, huge car. Um, and the thing is, it's also very, very expensive. Oh man, yeah, it's scandalous. Okay, so what at the top end? Because there's variance, right? It was like seventeen thousand to twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, in nineteen twenty one. And uh, did you already pull it up? I did, yeah. Okay. yeah. Do you know what it is? Go ahead. Uh, I've got it as almost $331,000. Yeah, that's a good ballpark. That's about what I have, too. So a uh, very, very expensive car in its time. Uh, in fact, so expensive that, you know, uh, it just didn't sell. I think he made a few of them, right? Yeah, he made uh, he made several of them. But before we get to just real quick for that oh, part, sorry. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he, I, I've got to say, Scott. Can we do a comparison price of some other cars at the time? Oh, sure. You know, we, you know what? One thing. Uh, can I interrupt your yeah, thought? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't talk about the price of the American Mercedes. 
That was ridiculously expensive oh, as didn't. well. Yeah. No, but uh, it wasn't it like I think they said that it was more expensive. Okay, so imagine a Steinway piano, which today I think sells for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, right? Cheapers. They say that you know it was, it was proportional back then. You know when right. they were making this car. So in nineteen oh six, it cost seven times the amount of the top piano that Steinway made during that time. Uh, so it was very very expensive mm-hmm. during it in its day. I can't remember the exact number. I think it was. Uh, ballpark, I'm going to say it was like $7,000 or something like that in, in 1906. Isn't that insane? Yeah. So, okay, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought with no, that, no, but no, I, no, I thought no. we had to get it while we we're still close. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so, so let's do some price comparison. Let's. All right. All right. So uh, we said that was about 25000 on the top end in $1921. Yes. Which makes it about 330 880-something thousand in today dollars. Mm-hmm. The Rolls Royce, for comparison at the time, sold for less than ten grand in nineteen twenty one dollars. Whoa! And that was still huge. Uh, Americans' highest price model was five thousand two hundred fifty. Uh, the big six limos were six thousand five hundred. It's so, just so this Heine Velux was was two and a half times as expensive as the Rolls Royce of the day. Western Gales Model A. Five times more expensive than the most expensive U.S. built model oh, yes, of the day. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's a, that's a super expensive car. Now I think he made what, like five or six of these things, maybe. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it was only five, maybe. And mm-hmm. uh, they had some other things going for them. They had some interesting features. They had uh, one unfinished limo. Okay. But yeah, as far as actually built, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, where they went, I mean, this is kind of unusual. So. Here's here's what happened to at least at least one of them. <laughs> it's kind of, I find this a little bit funny though, um, and sad. Uh, he wanted to demonstrate his car to Chevrolet, and mm-hmm. he had de- demanded uh, to see the head engineer of Chevrolet. So someone points and he says, "Oh, the you know the head engineer is over there because he's you know at the facility or whatever." So as he heads over to talk to the guy, someone steals the car from behind him as he's walking away. Can you believe that? This is 19, what, 1921, 1923, somewhere around there? Uh, and that car theft remains unsolved. Yeah, it's unsolved, but then get this. The following year, Chevy releases a car with pivoting windows, which was a design element of that vehicle that he was trying to show to the design engineer at Chevrolet. Which makes you think, doesn't it, It Scott? really does. It, I mean, it, Not it, saying he did it. It's just a very weird twist on this whole thing. And now we can't say, you know, that, that they stole the car or anything like that, but uh, it, it's... Pretty apparent what happened there, I think. Um, so <laughs> they, uh, by, what, 1923, I think, the company eventually dissolves, right? Because, um, well, they're just not selling, uh, of course. Um, he, I think, went throughout the rest of his life building pianos, you know, happily doing that. But the five cars that he had, you know, there, there were, I think, what, three? There were three that were left at this point because one had been stolen. Right. Something else happened. I don't know if it was the unfinished limo that you were Ooh. talking about or not. But he had three that were kind of finished, and he took them to a local dealership and allowed them to use them for display, and they disappeared from there as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this car has, like, it's just a strange history with what was left, really. The Victoria, I believe, ended up in the Harris Collection uh, out in uh, Nevada, right? Oh, okay. Uh, And um, I think, you know, that whole thing, it was a private, which is now in a private collection uh, somewhere on the East Coast, I believe. So, um God, I don't know where, where where would we go after that because there's like a big mystery what happened with most of the cars. We we know where one is. That's it. Yeah, you know what it it makes me think of though. I I always hope that these sorts of mysteries will be solved because we have found that decades after the fact, in some cases, almost a hundred years after the fact. Secret car collections are still being discovered. Yeah, I like that, but I also like the element of there's still a mystery out there. I kind of, yeah. I, I kind of enjoy that. You know? I mean, the odds against us finding something like that are pretty high at this point. It's, it's rare for those sorts of things to be discovered. What I like about it is it makes me think of, you know, all these what ifs, all these alternate universes, because what if the, San Francisco earthquake had not occurred in 1906. What if it occurred um, in the mid-20s or something like that? If that happened, it's it's interesting to wonder how much further 
uh, the Velox could have gone. Yeah, that's true. You know? I mean, yeah, he would have had another 15 years to, uh, to practice his trade. Would he, would he have picked up with, you know, let's say that both businesses were still destroyed in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Would he have picked up with the pianos again, or would he have decided that maybe the automobile was his way to go? He doesn't strike me as the kind of person who wanted to design an automobile for the people. He was clearly hang, aiming for the top of the market, and then when that market crashes, right, leading into the Depression era, it still would have been tough. This is both a case of unfortunate timing and uh, a case of, you know, you take a gamble when you position yourself in a specific spot of any market. That's true, yeah. He was going for the uh, the t- very top echelon. The top of the top. Really, yeah. really top end. And, every, and, you know, as history bears out, most of what people were buying at the time were five hundred dollar cars, yeah, you know, that's Model true. A's and stuff. And exactly right, or even a used vehicle for a hundred bucks. You know, right? I mean, and, and here's this guy with a twenty five thousand dollar automobile that's uh, that's two and a half times the price of a new Rolls Royce. I mean, it's, yeah. it's amazing. So again, bad timing. But I tell you what, I've got a few more here. You want to just kind of quickly go through them and uh-huh. uh, and and shorter shorter notes, I guess, than okay, uh, what sure. we had for the others. These it, it, history. Uh, you know, of these cars gets terribly complex if you really start to dive into the, uh, the, the specs of the vehicles and all that. So let's just, uh, let's keep a little bit more, uh, on the, on the, um, surface on these. You got it. I won't go, uh, I won't go too far in. <laughs> all right. All right. So, um, all right. Here's the thing. There's another company called Foster and Company out of Rochester, New York. Mm-hmm. And they were an established piano company, uh, building company, uh, trying to build automobiles around the turn of the century again in around 1899. Uh, that is when the founder of that company, George G. Foster, built an experimental steam car. Because remember, steam cars were mm-hmm. a thing at that time. And he organized this uh, this Foster Automobile Company uh, right around, again, right around uh, the turn of the century, right around 1900. I think it was in 1902 mm-hmm. um, when they were producing something like five steam cars um, every week. And they had 50 they had 50 employees that were doing this, you know, full time job. And again, this is a guy that accustomed uh, to building pianos. Um, and then later, they started to build an electric car. So, 1903, things aren't going aren't going so well uh, right. because the company had to be sold not long after its founding to another guy. Like I'm sure that it was a, a matter of you know getting investors and and building up capital, that type of thing. Sure. Um, so most of the investors left after he sold the company, uh, except for George Foster. He stayed with the company, and this mm-hmm. other guy, his name is Mr. Park Densmore. Um, well, Mr. Park Densmore, um, turns out he was embezzling funds from the company. Right. And, yeah. uh, this came about, you know, of course the company, the company's going bankrupt, but all the news really broke right around then, you know, oh, that, uh, man. That he's stealing funds. He skipped town. Yeah. He's, he, he leaves with, with what amounts to $30,000, which is quite a bit of money back then. Oh, I heard it was 40 grand. Oh, four. Okay. So $40,000. That's a significant chunk of change back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he can't be found anywhere. He's able to get away because it's 1903. You can do that. He probably stole that Velox. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he did. And here's the thing. He wasn't the only one embezzling money from the company. I think they, uh, there's also rumors that, um, there were ugly rumors that George Foster was also um, embezzling money from the company. So he also disappeared after 1903, never to return again. Uh, so he lost not only his piano business and also, you know, the, uh, the automobile company. Right. Uh, because he couldn't turn it, you know, he couldn't have his face shown in public again after this. So these guys ended up being kind of like uh, dirty crooks, but they, uh, made, uh, pianos and cars at the same time. That's why they're in this, <laughs> That's true. In this podcast. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. The next one, this one is a little bit more loose in the connection. Uh, the Jesse French Piano Company of Newcastle, Indiana. And. Okay, now this is a new one to me. I found the other ones. Alright, so this, the French company was a, a big player in the piano wor- world back in the, uh, like, turn of the century again. 19th century, uh-huh. 18th, I'm sorry, 19th and 20th century. So, they found, they started out in Nashville, in Tennessee, in 1875, and by... Ooh, Nashville. <laughs> Sorry. I'm <laughs> legally required to do Shout that. out to your, uh, your friends in Nashville. Uh-huh. Your homies in Nashville. Right. My hometown people, yeah. Well, yeah. that's true. And by 1898, uh, this company was called the Kell French Piano Company, because I think there was some uh, ownership changes around, around then. Uh-huh. Uh, by 1903, there was a devastating fire at the factory uh, in Tennessee, and they decided to move the whole thing to Newcastle, Indiana, with the help of civic leaders in that area that pledged to buy the required amount of stock to build this new factory um, in, I guess it would be right around the Indianapolis area. 
And here's the thing. The the connection is really that, you know, the person who started this Jesse French piano company um, had had three sons. And one of those three sons uh, went into uh, the, the early days of the automobile building um, ah. building industry. So he's like a pioneer of the industry, right? And he formed what was to later be known as the St. Louis Motor Carriage Company in, uh, I think it was 1899 when this happened, so just before the factory was moved, um, with a guy named George P. Doris, who would later build the Doris Automobile Company from 1900, or automobile, rather, from 1906 to 1925. So, Again, it's the early days, and it's like the the founders, and you know they, they're changing companies and they're building different vehicles. Yeah. But so the son is the one who is the connection here to the piano I builder. See. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, that's a kind of a weak. This is probably the weakest link one that we have here of this whole thing. Um, but again, this, the the um, the St. Louis uh, what do I call it there? The St. Louis, Louis Motor Carriage Company. St. Louis Motor Carriage Company. That's a long name. Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of a, they had a lot of firsts. I mean, John French was the guy to drive a new St. Louis. Um, on the first ever automobile trip between St. Louis and Chicago. So, you know, this is how early this is. Like, people mm-hmm. hadn't ever done that before. And he was the first one to do that. But, of course, you know, that John French name carries a lot of weight in the piano world as well at the time. I imagine, yeah. So, you know, it's it's just interesting how this whole thing happens. Um, I guess uh, he also was a, a race car driver. Um, he drove um, in a 1901 New York City to Buffalo race, but I think there were some financial com- uh, problems with the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved to Peoria, Illinois in 1907, and then I think finally uh, the company went into receivership at some point not long after that. Isn't so, that a shame? Yeah, yep. But uh, the next one on our list, Ben, is um, it's a piano company out of Detroit, Michigan, which makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. It's the Grinnell Brothers Piano Company. And uh, if you are from that area, yeah. I think there's a Grinnell Street. There's right. uh, there are buildings that you can still see downtown that are you know Grinnell, Grinnell Brothers. There yeah. was wasn't there also like a music store at some point too? Yeah, they had a music store, um, and I think they had a big operation out in Holly, Michigan, which is a suburb not far from Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, forty fifty miles something like that. So um, Holly, yeah. Holly in Oakland County, I think. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. They started, uh, they built their first pianos in 1902. Yeah, yep, early on. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's they, even... they started before in 1882 uh, making organs. Yeah, that's right. And they built their but first 
piano in yeah, 1902. By which, of course, you and I mean uh, church organs, not like kidneys. Yes. <laughs> well, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, then they then they stretched out to uh, the Oakland County, you know, the, the Holly, uh, Michigan factory, I guess. They mm. got these big factories all over town, right? So it right. makes sense that they've got a lot of room. Um, and I think they uh, this company kind of hung around for a long time. They they were around till like 1967. Oh, I'm sorry, 1981 uh, until they finally had to close their doors. But the um, the tie-in here is that they produced an electric car. You know, around 1912, from about 1912 to 1915. They were one of the, uh, again, as so many of these are, one of those uh, defunct automobile companies that we we learned about years ago on this show. Right. Uh, there were thousands of them. Remember here in the United States, this is one that lasted just three years, the Grinnell um, Electric Car Company. And so the Grinnell was produced through 1915, and then the business just had simply had to close in about 1916 because uh, even, you know, it, even in that era, um, you know, electric cars were, were still kind of growing, you know, up until about 1915 and they were just, yeah. again, bad timing. You know, they were on the tail end of it. Well, also they had a, they had a product that was more expensive than competitors. That's true. Yeah. So theirs was, um, 28 grand around there. Uh, it, it had some pretty cool stuff. Wait, 90... wait, wait, $28,000 in. No, the, I'm in sorry, 2,800. Oh, okay. That makes Great more correction. sense. correction. Yeah. Oh, no, that's okay. Cause I think we, we just heard the 25,000. Yeah. I was like, what? No way. Thank you. Good save. Yeah. yeah 2,800. Uh, but they, they had like, they claimed a 90 mile range per charge, which that's, is uh, impressive for the time. That's really, really good. And was, <laughs> what does the Nissan Leaf get? 50? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different set of circumstances. But, but, uh, I get it. But yeah, but be, I think in part because of this, the price point in part because of the market at the time, what ended up happening is, as you said, Scott, they got out of the auto business around 15, 1916, and they didn't go bust. They just decided to make focus on what was working, yeah. which at the time those were pianos. Yeah, simply went back to making pianos. And like I said, they uh, they kind of hung around Detroit for a long, long time. I think this is the Detroit riots of 1967. Uh just really, really hurt the business, of course, because right. that was yeah. right where they were located. And uh, by 1981, they just had to shut down. So that was the end of the Grinnell Brothers uh, Piano Company. Um, the next one on our list was the Stant Manufacturing Company out of Connersville, Indiana. Now, that's an interesting one. You may have seen the word Stant, um, Stant. on your own vehicle. Uh, if you open the hood <laughs> and you look at the radiator cap, uh, a lot of aftermarket caps and some from the factory, I believe, are, for, are from Stant. Uh, so they do all kinds of things. They offer, um, right now they offer fuel caps, uh, they offer thermostats, uh, they have radiator caps, there's all kinds of stuff that mm-hmm. they do. They have a, um, I think a racing operation as well, uh, for Stant. Cause they're but, largely parts manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. So you might think, well, what's the tie in here? Well, they made, um, they started making piano tuning fork, or pins rather. So making these piano tuning pins early on, and we're talking like early, early on, in 1899 they're making those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they, Grew to be the largest piano tuning pin manufacturer in the United States, and what's weird is that in run, I think it was World War One, they started mm-hmm. making um, submarine engine parts for the Navy. So they needed a uh, a completely different set of uh, of um, skills. Yeah, exactly, a different skill set to make these marine parts. You know, these these engine parts for submarines, mm-hmm. and. Along the way, they said, well, you know, we're doing this already. We can make automobile parts. You know, that, that's sure. something that's going to be big after the war here. Uh, we're talking after World War I. Uh, automobiles are going to catch on, we think. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, they knew they were at that point, right? Right. But um, they, they continued to make um, uh, a lot of little, like, little things on the autom- automobile, like aftermarket-type parts. Um, sure. Caps and things like that that we said. You know, um, Henry Ford himself came to uh, um, Stant to say, well, we would like you to design the radiator cap on the Ford Model A in 1928, and that's what they did. They designed that huh. 1928 cap because, remember, I think that one is – doesn't that have the – that's actually the cap for the radiator, the, the hood ornament. Mm-hmm. So they designed hood ornaments for not only them but also for Lincoln, Pierce Arrow, Packard, Cadillac, and uh, several other automobiles of the day that had a similar design where the, the cap was the – uh, the hood ornament. Hood ornament. I'm hard, having a hard time saying that. They're kings of the caps. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know that kind of carried on, and they're they're enormous. Today. I mean, big company. Even now, you can go online and find Stant uh, fuel caps and thermostats. Like I said, they mm-hmm. have they have uh, fuel caps. I think for something like 99 percent of the vehicles that are on the road today in the U.S. So, um, wow, very versatile. They have a, a huge catalog, uh, catalog of 
um, you know, potential uh, products. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, they have this. They have this wide variation. It's interesting because that I want to say that's not the only time it's happened that somebody uh, that there was um, a company that focused just on those parts rather than uh, rather than going the whole hog and making an automobile entire. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, that happened a lot. And I think that in the case of um, piano makers, and, I, you know, these are just a few examples that we have here. There's another one that's Yamaha. I don't know if we, should we even talk about Yamaha maybe. Sure, um, yeah. But, but to get to your point, though, like mm-hmm. a lot of them would make, you know, they had, they had uh, the ability to make these really um, – Intricate wood designs, you know, like pieces mm-hmm. that fit together just perfectly because they, they did it for their cases, uh, for their grand pianos or their baby grand pianos or right. whatever. But they also had to have um, the ability to make that work with other metal components. And sometimes they would have their own in-house foundry or they'd have their own in-house blacksmith that would mm-hmm. make those parts. And it, it just seems like it's a natural marriage between uh, coach builders of the day and piano makers. And this all makes sense. But, you know, getting into the modern day, mm-hmm. uh, we have an example here. The last one is Yamaha. And Yamaha made a um, well, you know they're they're they make motorcycles, right? They've done that for a long, long time. Sure, uh, but they make uh, keyboards and pianos and you know all kinds of other stuff. But they, they, they this isn't their first foray into uh, the automotive world. They no. they made a complete concept car, which we'll tell you about in just a minute. But they um, did they did start as a piano and organ manufacturer in eighty seven, eighteen eighty seven, in, in eighteen eighty seven. Yeah, so they've been around a long, long time now. In, uh, I think it was mid-90s, around 96, 97, I think, they made the Ford show engine, you know, for the, uh, for the Ford Taurus, the show engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3.4 liter, dual red cam V8, they, they, um, well, they, they jointly designed it, you know, between Ford and Yamaha. And I think they also made another four-cylinder engine for Ford, I think it was the Ford Puma. They used that one. I huh. don't, don't remember. We, we didn't get the Puma here, but, um, no. yeah, so that's an, another one. Um, they also, oh, you know what? They also build, uh, the Volvo 4.4 liter V8 that's found in the XC90 and S80 models. Uh, they also work with British sports car maker Noble. Uh, well, actually, in a way, I guess they use the same Volvo V8, but it's a twin turbo version of that for mm-hmm. their, for their M600 model. And then Yamaha also tunes engines for Toyota, which I didn't know. Uh, so you can have a, a Toyota engine that's tuned by, by Yamaha. Yamaha. Yeah. Can we take just a second to name some of the crazy things that Yamaha makes? I'm not saying, when I say crazy, I'm not saying they're bad inherently at all. What I'm saying is this is one of those companies that is like General Electric. You know, it's like Samsung. You will be so surprised when you dig in and learn how much stuff this institution makes. Short list for you. Okay. Uh, keyboards, you know, like pianos, organs. No big whoop. We knew that. Sure. Motorcycles also knew that. Yep. yep. Uh, band instruments, so trumpets, things of that nature. Makes knew sense. That. Harmonicas as well. Perfect sense. Guitars, small engines, watercraft, sporting goods. They started uh, music schools. They build robots, semiconductors, and furniture. Oh, and I think <laughs> I think they made go-karts. For, or not go-karts. I'm sorry. Golf carts. Oh, furniture. They made furniture. They made furniture. There's Yamaha furniture. I had no idea. And now they've made this uh, this car. This is uh, this is not brand new. Uh, I think this is in 2015, maybe the end of 2015. Uh, they made something called the Yamaha Sports Ride concept. And I believe the idea behind this one is that um, it's sort of like a, a semi boutique car. It's the mm-hmm. possibility of making like a low number of production vehicles, like maybe let's say like a, a run of a thousand, a planned run of one thousand. But make it affordable. Make it so that they can actually do this. And they, they uh, you know, project it by using this. Um, it's kind of like a modular idea in that it's all scalable as well. So right. um, this construction system will allow them to, you know, run off a thousand copies and save time in the in the process and save money in the process and and be able to do something like that without losing their shirt. And they could do that, you know. Uh, one little group here, one little group there, and they can mm-hmm. change the design a little bit and make it something different. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating idea. And if they can get it to work, it'd be really cool. And I tell you, if you look at, at this vehicle, it's called the Yamaha Sports Ride concept. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a functioning concept at all or if it's just an idea at this point. But, but right. the, the one that they showed at this, uh, at the, at the show, uh, it looks pretty remarkable. It's a, it's a really cool looking sports car, very futuristic. And if the um, the idea again, I think the guy that was involved with the uh, McLaren 
project. Uh, the, the McLaren F1, I mm-hmm. think he was involved in this as well. I've got his name here somewhere. I'll find it in just a second. Um, that makes Gordon, sense. Oh, Gordon Murray. Uh, Gordon Murray, who is the guy that uh, did all the carbon fiber work on the McLaren F1, he's involved in this project. So he's he's the one who's trying to make this modular idea work. Huh. Uh, so it, it has legs. There's a, there's something to this, and uh, and I hope that Yamaha does end up with something out of this. You know that uh, that they can create this uh, vehicle that they call the iframe vehicle. Um, you know, so it all, it all comes down to the way they manufacture it, uh, that it that it makes it affordable, that they can do something like that. So. Again, I, I know that some of those we went a little bit too deep into, and maybe maybe I, don't I got. Know. This I get is confused. interesting history. I get confused with so with when there's so many players in these things. I, uh-huh. and the timing of when the companies buy companies and, and the names change. Well, if we're not focused on just one, like if we were just telling the uh, the Heine Velux story, right, or just telling the the story of Honda or something. Yeah, or yeah. the uh, the Steinway Mercedes, the American Mercedes. It would be a little bit more in depth and probably a little bit more polished, I guess. So uh, my apologies for that, but. Just to understand that there is this 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 crazy connection mm-hmm. between piano makers and automobile mm-hmm. companies, and there has been for oh, what 125 years now at this point, and it's real, and it's not a conspiracy theory. No, I uh, I disagree with uh, you saying that we went in uh, a little too much detail with some of these. Uh, I don't respectfully disagree. I disrespectfully disagree because I feel that the only way to conclude this podcast is to have a duel with tuning hammers. <laughs> And scars will be uh, will be had out of that, I'm sure, because we're going to really go at. It. I mean, like they, they they must have really really been fighting. If you're fighting with hammers with your boss, you know, it's a hammer fight. That's a bad. Well, bad, maybe maybe bad what events. happened is that one of them just threw one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Although, as much as I know that's probably the case, I love this picture of these two guys. You know, tuning hammer in each hand, yeah, and ready to go out at Fight Club style. I do like that. It's like the old. Remember the old uh, like the, the bare knuckle fighters from that day, like yeah, how they stood and they had the you know the, the, the waist the waistband that was way way high on their body and they're yeah. like, they got their hands up uh-huh. like that, like you know, going to prize fighters gonna duke it out. Well. uh since uh, Scott and I are obviously going to go start our own uh, piano-themed fight club, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to get out of here. We hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Let us know. Uh, let us know if you are aware of any strange connections between other seemingly dissimilar entities or institutions. You know, like we've talked about appliance makers. How about uh, Peugeot making pepper mills? Yeah, oh, right. I went, I went to a restaurant just, I was at a steakhouse uh, um, a month and a half ago, maybe, or oh, two months whoa, ago. Oh, okay. Uh, listen, it's a local place. It's not anything fancy. I appreciate you taking well, your top you know hat what? off. I got to say, <laughs> it's sort of fancy, but not not really fancy, okay? Uh-huh. So I'm there and my, my wife stepped away from the table for a moment and I'm yeah. sitting at the table alone. There's a pepper mill there and it was right after we had recorded the Peugeot story. Uh-huh. So I pick up the pepper mill and I look underneath and it says Peugeot on it. It, it truly was there, and I looked around and they're on every table. Oh, that's kind of cool, isn't it? So I mean, did, it was you, a, did you take one? No, no, I didn't. But I mean, it was kind of. And then when she came back, of course, I was super proud to show her that I knew that this is a a Peugeot pepper mill, which she she didn't care. She really didn't care. She didn't care less. <laughs> didn't even know that Peugeot was a car. I don't think. No way. I, I don't think she did. No, I, I had to. Fill in that part like of the Like why this is important. Well, you know, they're just not here in the so, States. It's not, so that, not a common brand. So that she didn't think but, you were just a, a underground pepper mill enthusiast. But how do you, I mean, how do you like that, though? I mean, we like we had just talked about it, and it was yeah, probably weird. a couple weeks after. I don't know when the, the time frame was. I, I've lost track of time now. But um, I picked up the pepper mill, and there it was. That's crazy. It man. is, yeah. I wonder I how wish... many others are out there that I've been neglecting over the years. Yeah, and uh, I... I wonder, oh man, what if you just asked them if you could have one? <laughs> I don't think they. Would you have think. a little too much they're, dignity they're for that. Gonna, they're not going to give away their pepper. I'll go. But, uh, but you know what? I love hearing about like companies that have done some unusual things. I think there was one mentioned here. There's a car company that that built bird cages to start with. I don't remember mm. who that was. Um, uh, yeah, um, Honda started out as a bicycle manufacturer, which actually makes more sense. But it's strange because if you look back at the history of so many established car companies, um, some of which are no longer around now, what what you almost what you often find, I won't say almost always, but what you often find is that they started out making something else. And then the automotive age swept in and fundamentally 
change the world as we know it. Yeah, look at the international story that we just did, the International Harvester. Oh, yeah. It was literally a harvester. Great example. And then, uh, and then they started making trucks, and they did a fantastic job of building trucks for a long, long time. Um, it's just a weird spinoff thing that happens. Yeah, and if you would like to hear more stories like that, check out some of our history episodes on our website, carstuffshow.com, which has, as we like to say, every single audio podcast we've ever done in Oh, Friends and Neighbors. That's that's a lot. Yeah, we're uh, we're like seven thirty somewhere around there, something like. Are that. Are we? I think we're around. Yeah, we're we're above seven hundred, but not quite at seven fifty. I wonder what we should do for number one thousand. One thousand. That's a long way off. If we're doing one a week. Yeah, that's true. So we've got time to plan. You can, <laughs> Long well, time. as always, our uh, best ideas come from you. So uh, let us know what you think on Facebook and Twitter. We are Car Stuff HSW. Uh, when you go there, you'll see that our friend uh, Gabriel Salazar uh, just sent in a really cool picture of a Hudson that I suggest you check out on our Twitter. And Scott's updating uh, all kinds of interesting. Uh, interesting, sometimes deep cuts, obscure stuff on our Facebook page. And if you're a car fan, uh, or even if you're just a history fan, uh, you will enjoy a lot of the stuff uh, that we have there. And most importantly of all, we would like to hear your ideas. What should we cover in an upcoming topic? Uh, why do you think so many weird industries get sucked into the uh, the dangerous game of auto manufacturing? Let us know. You can write to us directly. We are Car Stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly. How much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.